And welcome to the Nerds Boxing Podcast with me, Andy White, and with me today. Saturday, 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 Saturday night's all right. All right. So that was a little flavour of what you're bringing to the podcast today. That's what you you're missed now, for three weeks. You're now, you're now armed with a tambourine. <laughs> I am armed with it. I've been thinking, actually. Every time I'm possibly going to slander someone, I'm just going to... Then you can fill the gaps in. So I've never actually said anything. Yeah. I mean, I've never bleeped anything you've said before. Well, that's true, but I can go harder now because I've got the tools to, to cover up my tracks. What, so proper slander people? Like, yeah, because... To get you, say, I, I don't know, what's the worst... I've been listening the last few weeks, right? And I... Honestly, like, I enjoy listening to it as a listener when I'm not involved. But sometimes Terry's such a... <laughs> wow, it's lucky no one, <laughs> no one can see, no one can hear what you just said then. They'll probably, I'll, I'll retrofit in a tambourine noise for that one because that was really bad, yeah. Yeah. Nah, he comes out with some... Oh, oh. man. <laughs> this is spicy. It's a spicy start. So no, no, no. I've sat at home and listened to you know being called the. Uh, I can't uh, remember what the quote was. Theobald meaning. <laughs> yeah, he of mighty belly or something. Yeah, but I'm not taking that from Fat and Dharma. Unbelievable stuff. <laughs> Unbelievable stuff. I'm only here today to defend myself. <laughs> That's it. You ain't gonna come at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm only here to get retribution. <laughs> um. Who okay, so I don't even know where he is. Uh, a christening. Oh, okay. Yep. Somebody wants Terry a christening. Wow, <laughs> that's a brave move, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Apparently, he's giving a he's giving a is he pouring a the water? He, he's doing a a, a seventeen minute <laughs> monologue. <laughs> Any other business? <laughs> <laughs> After the baby's christened, telling them how christenings have changed and. <laughs> How they used to be better and how people don't res- understand the real christening, the real meaning of christenings anymore. How the Pope's ruined the sport. Yeah, <laughs> the Pope's ruined it. Uh, so, you and I, I know today that um, how much boxing you've actually absorbed because you're in the back of the car. On the, I was. On the way back f- uh, from Cardiff, where we went to watch Elton John. John. Um, Which was outstanding for anyone out there that's like what are these two young cool handsome men doing going to watch Elton John there'll probably be a few more in there actually young cool handsome men going to watch Elton John well yeah you're right we are we're probably more handsome than you realise a lot of the time like in person we're incredibly handsome yeah I would say I would say very extremely I was going to use a 1 to 10 scale but I'm not sure that goes Ah, yeah. Even if you condense everyone in the UK down to 10, I'm not sure we fit on that scale. No, no. But anyway, yeah, even people like us will go and watch Elton John. Um, Handsome people like us. Yeah, big time. Big time. Anyway, what were we saying? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, that chap and arm is a... (laughs) 
I'll see him next week. So anyway, yeah. So we were at um, Elton John's farewell concert in Cardiff. And therefore, we didn't watch any boxing. I did catch the highlights of a Fury... Highlights? Highlights? (laughs) (laughs) Basically, I watched the second round of a a Fury fight. And uh, then you watched... The, the Warrington fight and the Fury fight on the way home. Did you watch anything else? Uh, Tabiti, daughter cast, um, Bradis, uh, whoever the fuck he was fighting, I can't remember right now. So in the absence of actually doing much research, we asked for questions and we got a load back. So do you want to go through the basics of what you review and then go straight into questions? Give each fight a nod. The questions will answer the things I'm about to... So you want to go straight into questions? (sighs) Go on then. Right, Go on then, let's do it. Roger Dodger. Right, we'll we'll dive in straight away with something we've got no end of questions about, but I'm just going to narrow it down to this one. It's the big question everyone wants to know. We filtered this a long, long time it took to work out where do we start off. Yeah, I mean, with all sort of like the politics of, you know, Joshua losing and uh, it was big you know the WBC have stepped away from the World Boxing Super Series I think there's something about that later yeah. the whole Galahad Warrington stuff the state of heavyweight scene all of that yeah um, WFC WFC1 asks who do you guys think is packing the biggest love truncheon in the heavyweight division <laughs> everything <laughs> everything else has been analysed we can work from rumours <laughs> Specifically in the heavyweights as well. So we're not even allowing like a big cruiser. Who cares? I mean... Are we assuming... Let's start with, are we assuming heavyweights have got the biggest penises in boxing? Well, do you remember I told you about yesterday? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Like, just to give everyone a bit of a lowdown, in the urinals, in the trough (laughs) urinals at the Elton John concert, there's guys beside me. This guy walks in on my left... He, he just walks beside me. He's about five foot six. Pulls out what looks like a fucking butternut squash out of his pants. It was fucking huge. <laughs> we were discussing this. And that was like a truncheon. I was like, wow. Like, are you going to hit me with that or something? That was, it was you're like, you know, it just catches your eye. You're like, fucking hell. Then I had to check the guy to write me. I was like, have I got the smallest penis amongst us three? It looked... The guy to write me made me feel better because this was like a chipolata in a bin bag. He almost, he was almost, his foreskin was almost touching the, touching the metal. <laughs> it was so hangy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to proper get down and analyse it. I know we do have females who listen to this, but yeah. I'm going to make a, a judgment that predominantly our listenership is male. So I want to hear feedback. How many men out there, if they're going for a piss like at an event like that, how many check out the man to the left and right? Because this is sounding pretty fucking dodged so far. That uh, you were at an Elton concert. John concert checking out men's fucking love Dons. truncheons in the well, toilets. Look, I, I like to do research, and that, uh, <laughs> as you well know, I don't. <laughs> and uh, you've watched more penises this weekend than you than have boxing. boxing. <laughs> that's true, and that's why we're starting on this question. That's, that's true. So this guy was like five foot six, you know, <clears throat> packing. It was packing. I mean, unless of course packing girth, unless it was artificially inflated. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I might do that. Just go into like get a massive artificial penis, and then let my one urinate underneath it, like stick on. 
Can you get extensions? Can you get some horrible extension things? I don't know why they would work, but I bet you can buy them. Drill a hole in the front of them. Someone out there tell us. Fill it up with wee. Anyway, thanks for listening. We'll see you. (laughs) Come back, Terry. (laughs) Always forgive. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, who do we think then? Biggest penis. It's got to be, for me, it's got to be Wilder. Why? Because he's a big guy, isn't he? Big, like... But he's not. He's quite gangly. Yeah, but that's what makes you think it. I think Luis Ortiz. Because you look at him, all about him is just large. Or Jarrell Miller. But Tyson Fury... Jarrell Miller could have girth. Tyson Fury, I think, is an underdog here. Mm. Because he's like, what is he, 6'8"? Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Tyson Fury's got that, like, bulge in the front of his sort of forehead and his big square jaw like maybe he's had a lot of growth hormones he looks like an alpha male yeah like yeah like almost like he might wear a stirrup to hold it up in case it's like hangs (laughs) he's got stretch marks right at the top where it's been the weight the sheer weight of it (laughs) who asked this question they're Uh, never ever allowed to ask another question (laughs) WFC WFC (laughs) 1 so there we go that I mean, so that, we haven't settled. I like the fact we've just ruled Joshua out of this. Like since he's lost his alpha male state, he's shrank. <laughs> like he's Andy shrank. Ruiz. It went inside his body after that, <laughs> like a dog with the towel goes between his legs. Oh, <laughs> like, he's got a bigger penis, Ruiz or Joshua? I think now Ruiz is grew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plus, again, girth. Does what does girth count for? Girth versus length. I don't know. Are we talking radius? Yeah, because it could be a chunky, chunk. It could be like a chunky a Snickers. Boy. That's what he likes, doesn't he? It's uh, he could have just transformed his penis yeah. into one, part of that corporate branding. Yeah. Right. Any boxing question? <laughs> well, what's our top three then? Are we going for Fury number one? <laughs> I would go Ortiz, Fury, Miller. Not, I'm not. I'm not fancying Miller on this one. You're not. No, I reckon it's. Wild. But he's had a lot of growth hormone, isn't he? He's all those drugs he's taken have either uh, yeah. it's either jackpot or broke. I'm not sure which. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's what you tune into this podcast for. The big answers. It's to the bigger chat. questions. Uh, I haven't really got much more questions. Peaked. To be honest, they were all about that, really. <laughs> <laughs> Just 30 penis related <laughs> It will be next week now. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> We've opened the, the door. Case, yeah. Uh, Rob Stirrup asks, is Warrington juiced off his gills? <laughs> so two excellent top of the range questions that have come in strong. <laughs> you want the answer? <laughs> wow. Okay. That is... I'm going to have to put no more tambourine noise over that because so, that... We probably got to touch on the fight, really. Right, so, tell him what happened because obviously happened? I So seen Warrington it. defending his IBF featherweight title against Kid Galahad. Um, quite a spicy build-up. Um, Warrington and Galahad kind of chatting shit about one another beforehand, as is the normal most these days. Um, Warrington's kind of leads fan base chasing Galahad's team out of the weigh-in and stuff like that. It's all a bit embarrassing, isn't it? It's, it's not what I'm about. I don't enjoy it. I'm not that life, but um, <laughs> you're not about that life. <clears throat> yeah. So underwhelming fight, I think. Perhaps nice way to put it. You wouldn't rush to go and watch it again. So 
the start of the end. Josh Warrington wins um, points decision, split decision, retains his title. 12 rounds of negation, if that's a word, I might have just made it up. Um, Stagnation. Yeah, so Galahad was good. Let's be let's be fair about this. Galahad was very good. Um, and I think it probably proved why, for years, nobody has been rushing to get Galahad in the ring. He doesn't really have any backing. He's got Eddie Hearn as his promoter officially, but Hearn's never put any money into him. Uh, he's kind of been passed through the houses. He's got that horrific backstory stuff about his PED taking his brother allegedly um, spiked his uh, shake and oh. that caused him to um, to fail a drugs test. Mm. That sounds oh, legitimate that as well. brother. Yeah. Oh, what a nightmare. I know. So, I mean, God forbid he was a boxer who took drugs. I'm not saying that at all. Um, but, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's hard to feel sorry for Kid Galahad when he's got that behind him. He was fantastic throughout the fight at what he does. It doesn't make for a nice fight, though. So you're used to Warrington steaming in. Um, but Galahad was very cute. Boxed out of Southport to start with, but just continually switched through the fight. Really good stuff. To, like, you know how you'd enjoy watching Fury just switching? Mm. Galahad was doing it seamlessly. You, you, there were times you didn't even notice he'd done it in and out of Southport. But he used that front leg Specifically when he was in Southport, he also did it orthodox. But if you watch it, he uses that front leg, the right leg when he's in Southport, to control the space between himself and Warrington. So there was a lot of like standoff where the two were almost waiting for the other one to do something. And in that time, you watch Galahad leans that front he leaves the front leg like quite far out, which stops Warrington being able to come in. Uh, and he can control where Warrington is with it. He uses the right hand to fill that space above it. Um, and so where you're used to seeing Warrington steam in pressure, four, five, six punches, he wasn't able to do it because he couldn't get around or through that Galahad like space control that he was doing. So what uh, did Warrington do in response to that? Not enough is the answer. Like, I scored it and I sc I've seen this outrage of people saying it's a robbery, etc. Now... I scored it to Galahad by a round. And I've seen people saying that Galahad should have won it by like four or five rounds. You can see why in some places, because the rounds, so little happened in some of them. Um, and when they got together, when they got in close, Galahad was just holding a lot of the time. He was doing some of the better in work as well. And I think that's been overlooked by a lot of people, that his work inside was actually not too bad. And then he would start to hold. So he'd have that like one or two seconds of the punches, the little short hooks into the body and then hold. And so he was doing the more work inside. Warrington just couldn't do anything inside and was getting held. And it's so frustrating to watch. Um, but <sighs> Galahad for me won the fight, but he didn't. And there's a question about this later on about should you go into well, a champion? Was, go on, touch I'll on bring that. It on now. Uh, <laughs> Bob Robert asks, do you subscribe to the bullshit premise? So I'm assuming straight away... Oh, I wonder what his view is. <laughs> yeah, he may not. That a close round goes... In a championship fight, this is. Uh, that a close round goes to the champ as the challenger has to, quote-unquote, rip the title away to win. Uh, thoughts, please. Then he goes on to 
mention the punctuation, which isn't actually perfect in that sentence. But I'm not going to go into that. And he got his wife to check it. <laughs> Did he really? Yeah. He said he got his wife to check it before sending it to you. <laughs> um, that initial question, by the way, is fine. It's just that when he goes into, I think it's catching, he doesn't actually end have an apostrophe in the it's. Never mind. Um, At least it's not a question about penises. So Yeah, well, one step above what we've had so far. Um, do I subscribe to it? I don't. Like, I don't think you should have to go and do it, but I do think it's sometimes the case that that's what happens. Um, as I say, uh, some people that I'd seen who have Galahad winning it, clearly, like, by a good few rounds. And one of the judges gave it to Galahad, two to Warrington. So I think it is maybe the case that you need to go and yeah. do it. I'm not saying I agree with it, but I do think... But also, you look at it, there are those handicaps of it was in Leeds, and I watched it about the sound on, but I did hear the, the crowd were quite quiet for a Warrington fight. But irrespective, there's still going to be more Warrington fans there cheering every punch that's landed for Warrington over Galahad. Yeah. And he is the champion. And there's that element of, whether it's subconscious or conscious the challenger having to do more. It's like a home but, tie in a team sport, yeah, isn't but it? But also, given that one of them has drugs, <laughs> it, like, I don't give a fuck if that little prick has to have a handicap against him. I'm not going to put tampering noise over that bit. <laughs> no, I don't. Because look, if you've cheated in the past, which by all accounts you have, <laughs> you have had a drugs ban in the past, so you are deemed to have cheated... Why should you get any favours going forward? Why? Like, if all those things add up against you, you should start on a handicap. If you, There's an idea for boxing. If you've had a drugs ban and you come back, you should start on a handicap in every fight, like two rounds down yeah, from the yeah. off, like minus two zero from the scorecards at the beginning. Like, I'm up for that because... Ten round fight, but you've already lost two rounds. But yeah, but I'm no expert on drugs. But from what I understand, like if you take performance enhancing drugs for a period of time, then even if you stop, you can still gain the advantages of what you've like. From what I've heard Terry say about yeah. it, yeah, yeah. you can still gain those physical advantages even if you stop taking them. Well, you've already gained them, and you can still you can still maintain them. Yeah. After you've taken them. Right, so there you go. So you've already got an unfair advantage. So on that basis, good. Give Josh Warrington some advantage to even it out a bit. That'd be my view. Um, so I don't care that Galahad lost. I don't give a fuck about Galahad particularly. I don't see what anyone can do with Galahad now. Like, he proved he's awkward, he's good, and he is good. And he's difficult to beat. But without any financial backing behind him... <laughs> you know, he's going to have to get himself into a mandatory position now somewhere. But that's very difficult to do without the influence of a Hearn or a Warren or an Aram or someone like that to benefit your case. Um, to do it alone is a very difficult thing. He's not a massive ticket seller. He doesn't shift the numbers over here. So I, I don't see really what, what can happen in the future for Galahad apart from having to take some really hard fights to get back into those positions. Because based on last night, he was good. But him being good in his style doesn't benefit the fans, if that makes sense. Like, you wouldn't queue up to watch that fight again. You wouldn't queue up to watch his next fight. 
nobody's going to call for a rematch. We all enjoyed Warrington Frampton because fuck the two of them just collided in the middle of the ring until one man started to come out on top of those collisions. We never got to see that last night. It was very much Galahad being tricky, cute, moving, slipping shots, rolling. The amount of times he rolled under a hook and he'd be off. Um, brilliant technique, brilliant uh, ability. But it's not a firefight, which yeah. is what Warrington brings to a fight. And he wasn't able to do that last night. And I say, for me, the, the deserved man didn't win the fight. I thought Galahad should have. Uh, but not by the miles, that some say. Um, but I'm not upset that he lost. I'm quite happy that he lost. I feel honest. like when it comes to boxing as a whole, if you're, as a boxer, let's just, I realise this is a bit of an oversimplification, but if you largely put boxers into offensive boxers or defensive boxers. Okay, yeah. I feel like... I think everyone knows what you mean. and Like yeah. Wilder Fury. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Being a defensive boxer, I always feel like you're uh, much the same. Well, I'm not going to. I'm not going to refer it to another sport. But a defensive boxer relies on being able to. It might win ugly, but you're kind of relying on not losing. Whereas an offensive boxer, people are more forgiving if you lose because they're entertained through it. Yeah. Like if some of Fury's fights are not exciting. Like the, the, I think objectively, you would class the Fury win over Klitschko as less exciting than the Joshua win over Klitschko. Most people, like yeah, as a general rule, most people I feel like they're more forgiving of exciting fighters because they're entertained in the process of to, having. If you were to take a very very casual boxing fan who watches three fights a year and show them, you know, Fury Wilder, oh, sorry Klitschko um, Fury or. Joshua Fury. Yeah. You know which one they'd pick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it doesn't surprise me when you talk about like someone like Galahad, who I, I, I'll be honest, I don't know anything about him other than what you said, but it sounds very much like he's a defensive boxer. He is. Um, yeah. But so you've got. But, uh, he he uh, relies on skill over power, put it that way. But then that means that he's, he's he needs to be more. He, by relying on being defensive then I feel like he relies on not being beaten more. Yeah, <laughs> you know the, I mean? the feeling I got at the end of the fight was that, say there's no belts on the line. Like, ignore the bit about going in and being a, beating a champion. If you just had two, if that was for nothing at all, just two blokes fighting, I still wouldn't be able to get to the Do end of it. those happen anymore? <laughs> no, the WBA will still give a nothing belt. Like they'll still, they'll still Short sell. Belt. Gilberto <laughs> Mendoza will be there, <laughs> still to hand something out at the end. Uh, WBA fingernail belt. Yeah, you get to the end and he's fashioned a towel into a belt. <laughs> Why? Why have you done this? Um, but yeah, if you got to the end of it and there was nothing at stake, you would still. I, I wouldn't have felt like Galahad deserve to win that if it's on neutral territory yeah. in a car park like I, I would still struggle to have gone well, Galahad like decisively the, won it and when it comes to scoring those fights I feel like the more aggressive more attacking boxers might subconsciously I realise that this is going to depend on the judge and what they value but they're going to subconsciously generally win over potentially the judges through their aggressive style but the flip side of that is they're going to probably take more punishment in their career so it just depends on what side of the coin you want to sit on. Yeah, but I mean, also, as much as judges will claim not to be influenced by the reaction of the crowd, yeah, like 
when Warrington storms forward, I don't care if that's in Leeds, in Sheffield, in Manchester, in Dubai, whoever's in that crowd will get more excited the times that Warrington comes forward and lands those right hands over the top than they will the times that Galahad slips a shot and then throws a jab and moves. Like, that will always happen. Um, so, look, Galahad is so effective at what he does and he proved that he belongs up at that world level. I just I don't see that there's going to be much clamour to see him at that world level. Uh, when next for Warrington? He's you've kind of about, covered Galahad now. Yeah, he's talking about moving over and fighting Oscar Valdez in a unification for the WBO, I think it is, um, in America. So I think he kind of implied that this was going to be his last fight in Leeds for a while. Now, I think Valdez is a top-ranked fighter, I think, um, which would tie in quite nicely. Top Rank and Frank Warren have a kind of uh, a mutual a agreement. Relation, like, yeah, a working relationship. Um, and so that would make an awful lot of sense for that to be the next fight for Warrington. Um, I, I can see that happening. I can see that happening. Going briefly back to the scoring, British Boxing Blog asks, what can be done with boxing scoring? It seems like so many close fights are decided solely on aggression or defence. Is there actually a set criteria for what should take precedence. Now, I don't want to be too pedantic about this, but the first thing I thought was, well, what else can you decide a fight on? But I guess he's talking specifically about boxing styles, aggression or defence. Well, rather than ring generalship. Yeah. Or, um, what could be done? I don't know. Like, What are the options you've really got? So you have the open scoring, which was used in the Canelo someone fight a few years back where they gave you the scores at the end of every three rounds. Um, and that kind of killed the fight off because by the ninth round and they gave you the scores, Canelo knew he was miles in front, so just clocked off for the last three rounds. Uh, you could do the amateur way of scoring, which is you get to see a point every time, but ultimately it, it doesn't matter what the criteria is for scoring if you still can't see what the judges are scoring. If that makes sense? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, what do you want? Everybody in the country to have a button and as long as like more than 50% of people tap that button, then he gets a point. Like, uh, if there's still three people down by the ringside then whatever those rules are will always be clouded in mystery somewhat yeah. by the fact that we don't get to see why they're making those decisions. Yeah, if we so, don't know what the judges are valuing, then it then even you, giving you us an the score is arbitrary anyway. Who's got the best shoelaces? <laughs> like, they're going to get an extra point. Like, it's still oh, down to their decision on who's... He down twice in that round, but he's got bloody good shoelaces. <laughs> well, exactly, like... Unless you can see inside the mind of the people that are there to score it, then yeah. you're always going to have issues the only outcome i can see that changes it is that you interview the referee or sorry the judges afterwards which every sport seems reluctant to do and yeah it, when is it comes... make them accountable for yeah. their decisions <laughs> yeah um understandably really like it's their final word like whether we agree with it as non-trained judges or whether other judges agree with it like, the fact is they're the people that have been trained to do that job now how would you clear it up tide it up <laughs> Is there any way, and I haven't thought about a, uh, an answer to this, but well, is, this there, could be is there any way you could incorporate um, a version of um, like VAR into boxing, i.e. changing those scores retrospectively? Um, uh, clearly, no. no it, immediately, no. Like, how can you... 
retrospectively do it because it would take a panel of people, I don't know, three hours, four hours to do it. Yeah. What, on the night of the fight? Yeah, well, it, I, I mean... Yeah. You've already announced a winner. What are you going to do? Like, get the crowd back, get the MC back, get the fighters back and yeah. take that belt off them and give it to the other dude? Like, no, it... The beauty of sport, and VAR does this in football, is takes away that instantaneous mm. moment. And when, you know, they build up and, and the winner... And still, like yeah. that moment is what fans go there for. Yeah. To then say, sorry, we're going to review that and we'll come back to you in a few hours. It would kill it. It would kill it. Question from Tyke Meissen. Why do people feel the need to score fights? You know, they're not qualified to judge a fight. All they have is an opinion. They don't really understand how boxing works. They consume the product without really understanding how it works. They don't understand how someone is doing something. Judges are trained to understand that. That is why a judge's scorecard will be different to a fan's scorecard. It's a waste of time. They all sit there and they think their opinion counts. No one's opinion counts other than the three judges who are there. And there is nothing you can do. I don't care what forum you're on, your scorecard is meaningless. Why do people do it? What do they think they will achieve by telling someone how they scored a fight? As if the fact that they've scored it now means the decision is reversed. Come on. So my immediate response to that is people automatically score the fight um, at the very least in order for them to be able to, at least in their own mind, hold the judges to account. Even if it doesn't mean anything, you sort of double check it. It's a figure of authority and if you were just slavishly going to accept everything you were told, in every single sport people debate decisions. So that would be my first response to it. If you just accepted everything you were told, we wouldn't which that's not that's not the way our culture is but i mean that that's a sort of wider thought on it what's your response you use it to narrate an opinion don't you it's that's why you have gone through the process of doing it now i sometimes score fights and i sometimes don't and sometimes you just get a feel for a fight i did score the warrington galahad fight but i don't think my opinion is any more valid than anyone else's as I was saying earlier, I had Galahad by a round, but some people had it by five rounds and some people had Warrington winning it. Like There are so many criteria, and we've said this before. You sit ringside and watch that fight, you'll get a completely different score than what you got watching it on BT last night because you'll see the punches that land, you'll see the punches that miss, you'll see the punches that hit the elbows or the arms you'll see the punches that get through that you didn't really appreciate. I also suspect you get influenced by the commentators and stuff like that. Yeah, like I, I, I didn't watch anyway. you have any sound on, so I don't yeah. know um, on that basis. But you would get a completely different score yeah. if you were sat ringside watching that fight than what you did watching it on BT last night. I guarantee you it would not be the same because you see things from a different perspective. Just how Judge 1 sees things from a different perspective than Judge 2 because they're sat on different sides of the yeah. ring. Like, it is madness to sit and watch a fight on TV and then claim robbery afterwards because you can't... I don't care how many camera angles they've got. You can't see it as good as a judge can see it. It's not the same with football. Like, 
you can debate a penalty decision because you can see it better than what the referee can see it. The referee might be 30 yards away. You've got a TV camera that is zoomed in to the nth degree upon that person's toe clipping somebody's ankle. Like, you've got a better view than the ref, and now it possibly equals out with VAR and stuff. But in boxing, you don't have a better view than the referee, or the judges, sorry. Nobody does. Nobody at all. And as I said, I don't care if you had 40 camera angles. You couldn't replicate what you can see from ringside. So, yeah, I... By all means, score a fight. By all means, have a view on it. But your view isn't correct. My view isn't correct. Like we don't have the criteria to be able to score it and we don't have the view to be able to score it. So without those two things, mm. how can anyone swear solemnly that their view is well, the right yeah, one? Well, I think uh, I'd always encourage people to score. Well, I, I mean, personally, I score you fights. Don't, you don't even encourage people to watch, I don't, <laughs> score. I, I, I score fights that I'm invested in, I think, is right. I'm genuinely invested in, unless they're, if it's a if it was a big fury fight, I, I can't. I need to enjoy it. I need to get it, like just sit there and watch it. But um, you're such a fury lover, isn't you? Yeah, yeah. And and those and yet you didn't put him top of the penis tree. The, <laughs> I was I was willing to uh, sit in line with what you was thinking. I mean, I, I, it wasn't that important to me. <laughs> I'm sorry, Tyson. You're top. Um, <laughs> you're top. You've got one like a baby's arm. <laughs> Um, yeah, and, but what I don't have any sympathy for is when people are totally indignant. How can you give this? Maybe that's what Terry's referring to. Like, how can you possibly give it? I had it. There's no way you can give it. They're just like I've seen something go. I'm done with the sport. Yeah. I'm done with the sport. What is that? Like, that's not a robbery. Like a robbery yeah. to me has to be you got floored like nine times in the fight and then you won. Like that to me would would scream robbery how, how yeah i mean I, I think of fights that you could have would you have called either of the um golovkin losses a robbery no would you have i call, would call them close would you call the draw between fury and wildy no. uh, rather a robbery for anyone um trying to think of i can't within my the only one that i would say is near a robbery and i wouldn't even call it a robbery was that uh connor ben against Payno fight at york call the first one where Ben was down like three times, but even then he still came back and I think dropped Pano himself. Like the scores might sometimes be miles off. The scores in that one were questionable. Um, but to call a robbery on something, it, it would genuinely have to be one fighter's down nine times, the other one's not down at all, and that one who was down picks up a point to win at the end. <laughs> then you would have some serious question marks. But the outrage that I've seen over this Warrington Galahad one is like just people want to be offended people it like so many things in society where people have a voice on twitter so they want to be offended about something like that's how do you it think it's offended or do you think it's they want to be they want to be listened to they want to be the most extremely disappointed in the sport like do you think it's the, that they don't have influence on it and they they resent the fact that other people do have influence no i don't I, like i don't think so necessarily like those people i'm assuming haven't gone for their judge's license and got turned down for it. Like, I don't think it's a resentment. I just, I struggle to see how people think their view is better than a referee or a judge. That's, that's what I'll always struggle with this argument. Oh shit, I didn't mean to tambourine. <laughs> um, because it isn't. Like, you're not trained in it 
and you don't have the same view. Without those two key things, how can anyone pertain to have a better um, idea of the outcome than what the professionals do? Or else you, you know, Barry from Barnsley or whatever the insult is that, that matching ones throw around. It kind of works in this sense of like, if you're sat at home on your sofa, there's a very fair chance you haven't taken your judging qualifications. Therefore, how can you critique what the scoring is? You're not sat ringside at the fight. How can you critique what their view of the fight is? You can't. You simply can't. Okay, so uh, I think we've answered those questions. I, I want to fire some... I think there's, there's quite a few questions here that are just plucked from obscurity. So I'll just cool. fire them at you. I like those. Um, does Dillian White's resume match his <laughs> perceived worth or is he the most over-entitled crybaby in the sport? <laughs> I love the emotion that goes into some of these. Yeah. That's JP at Boxing Luton, isn't it? Uh, it is. Um, Do you want context around it? Yeah. Okay, so he, Dillian White, um, continues his battle against... Like, this is a real arse-about-face way of trying to get a world title shot. It's to go to war with the WBC. It seems to be like just trying to find a nemesis. Like, yeah. couldn't get Joshua to bite, and now Josh, and, and then he was having a go. Well, he could. Fu- Joshua offered him the chance. Well, that's true, yeah. And, but um, I think, it, well, for whatever, yeah, actually, I'm not I'm even sure why he didn't take that after all that. But. So the reason behind not taking that was, this was after Jerome Miller failed the drugs test. He was offered the opportunity to fight Joshua. His view was the offer wasn't good enough. So it would have been a career-high payday of, I don't know, say four million, five million, something like that. Um, to take the fight but his view was he would be in a better position not to take the fight and get himself into a mandatory slot so if he took that fight with Joshua he would be signing up to a rematch clause where he still wouldn't get the majority of the money in that fight he would only get say 45% and Joshua would go into it say White beats Joshua in the obligatory uh, rematch that would be signed off White would still not be taking the lion's share of the, the right. purse. But if he becomes a mandatory? But if he becomes a mandatory, he might only get 30% of the initial fight, but he's backing himself to win that fight. And then the rematch, which is worth X amount, he can dictate the terms on. So as a mandatory, you don't have to sign a rematch no. clause because you've got to take the fight. He's got yes. to take the fight anyway. Yes. So that's what his issue was there which is cool i understand that if you're backing yourself the long-term plan is ultimately he wouldn't give him a rematch straight away anyway that's what my feeling would be it'd make him wait out and beg for it probably he's a champion now he could do what he wants to an extent but i understand that point of view but the issue here is that he's been sat as the wbc number one fighter not the mandatory the number one fighter for 500 days it'll be more now 520 or something wow um, and he's not been given the mandatory position. So that's where his gripe is coming from. So I would turn that around and say, you were offered the opportunity to be the WBC mandatory. You'd have to fight Luis Ortiz to do so. The winner of that fight would go on to be mandatory for Wilder. And he turned down that final eliminator. He said, no, I'm not taking that. And he went off and fought was it maybe Joseph Parker or might have been Lucas Brown. Can't remember which. Instead... And he was offered the chance for the IBF to get the mandatory position. To do so, he'd have to fight Kubrat Pulev. And he turned that down. That was the one Huey Fury went and fought Pulev and got that awful cut across his eye instead. 
Um, but White turned down that fight and instead fought, I think that's when he fought Joseph Parker. And so he's had the opportunity to become a mandatory to one of these titles twice and he's turned them down. Don't, don't sound like on paper particularly difficult fights in given the fights that he's then subsequently taken. Do you know what I mean? Like yep. if he was willing to take those subsequent fights, why not take the ones that he was offered in terms of their difficult difficulty? I don't know. It does sound like he feels in, I mean, entitled might be the word as in, he feels like he should be given a mandatory position. Yeah, absolutely. Rather I think than he does. earn it. So, and, and I can see that it maybe his argument is that they keep shifting the goalposts, but as if that's new to boxing. If you look through his CV, it stacks up. You know, the, the Hellenius, the Brown at the time, uh, the Joseph Parker fights, now Rivas coming up. They're all like, they're all the top of the second tier of heavyweights. They're the top names that don't hold a title. And so he's earning a shot, but he's, it's almost like, I can't think of an analogy, but he's doing the hard work without actually doing the hard work of becoming a mandatory. Yeah. Like, and maybe the problem is that a Kubrat Pulev fight wouldn't be a Sky pay-per-view and therefore he doesn't want it. So, so then he went and fought Joseph Parker on Sky pay-per-view instead. Like that was a Sky it's pay-per-view. always short-term thinking by the looks of it then. The, the other way of looking at it is when you think of someone like Josh Taylor, we've all praised Josh Taylor for those fights that he had before he became a world title holder. And so he got all that experience. And what Terry was saying about Joshua the other week of Andy Ruiz has those 100 amateur fights and all that experience. He's seen the different styles. And then Joshua didn't do that. Joshua had a shortened amateur career and he's kind of fast forwarded his professional career to get that title, which is fair enough. But then he hasn't seen all these different styles, all these different ways of fighting. Yeah, but if that was, I'm a, I'm putting two to, two and two together here. But if you're arguing that potentially that's what White's doing, then he yes. wouldn't be whinging about. Surely he wouldn't then also be whinging about not getting. He'd he'd be content in his own mind, like I'm just building myself up so that I can make that challenge as and when. Do you want my view on it? I don't even think he's that bothered. I think his whinging is like a a bit of peacocking, and like you have to be seen to be upset about it but in the meantime he's cleaning up on sky pay-per-views he's making shitloads out of it not even having to fight for a world title not paying the sanctioning fees of a world title holder yet getting the benefits of it by being on sky pay-per-view i think he'd happily sit it out be my guess if he was that asked about becoming a world champion he'd have taken the joshua fight irrespective of the terms he'd have jumped at it because he'd still get millions of pounds millions of pounds in his bank account on the Monday. Like, irrespective of whether it's the, the most money he could have made, he should, he could have backed himself to become the world champion, backed himself to beat Joshua in the rematch, and then go on and have shed loads of money in the future as world champion. So if you were, if you literally beamed into Dillian White's office as his, as his manager, what yep. is your, what you are, are, is your advice to him? Dill, sit down, son. No need to stand up. You're a big man. He is a big man as well. That's wide as he is tall. Um, my is advice... He, is he going in your top three? I hadn't even considered him. So You've just basically made a penis gesture yeah. for those that can't see, which is everyone. Just to remind Martin that we're talking about love truncheons. <laughs> love truncheons. Not my quote. Not my naming of it. 
<laughs> nah, he's not going top three. Although he is, I say, such a unit of a man that actually might be underrated here. Yeah. Anyway, um, um, sit down, Dill. Take a seat. Chill out. Um, he's like, don't call me Dill. He sits down. I'm what, your manager. What, what do you want? want? Right. Okay. So you brought the tambourine with you? Of course I have. Right. Okay. Well, so you, I'm going to take it everywhere. Now. I'm taking it from your house. You've already put it in. You've already put him in his place. So you're now. I'm the alpha male. In yeah. The yeah. You've, you, I think lions in the camp. <laughs> So I think he would notice the tambourine and go, yeah, fair one. Right. Yeah. So, so now, now what do you say? As soon as he saw it, he'd take a seat. He'd know what's going on in this so situation. So what do you say to him next? I say, do you fancy Love Island next year, Dill? What does he say? Nah. Right. Nah. So we carry on past so, that. So yeah. So um, have you offered him a cup of tea at this point? Or is he like... I don't think he's a tea drinker. Right. Nah. I, I think he's just a water man. Water and like... Lucas aid. Are you are you concerned with just going back to that love island? Are you concerned with his career in boxing, or are you just like, are you? you I know, want to make sure he's happy. You know, do you want to go and be around some real arsehole women for a bit? Up to you, Dill. You do what you want, mate. Yeah. Do it on pay per view, Love Island pay per view, and then we might get to find out if he's top three as well. I mean, could you like a a world's strongest man like test your might with Dillian White or something like that? Can- <laughs> <laughs> test your might with Dillian White. <laughs> that is a program waiting to be made. So, are you offering him? Are you offering? Can him, he pick up the Atlas balls? Yeah, <laughs> that's because he's got massive arms. That's we've an advantage. Regular blokes who think they're stronger than Dillian White. Yeah, we've got to do this. Right. Someone reach out to Dillian. Right. So, so I'm just trying to picture this. Are you? Are you managing? Are you giving him? Right. So I've run like through this? the TV programs. <laughs> so we're half an hour into the meeting. Such an Alan Partridge moment. <laughs> And he's Still, like, what we got please, on? talk about my boxing career. And you it's find... Like extras. You know where he's got Barry from his <laughs> Stephen Merchant's terrible. <laughs> and you finally say to him... He's like, I just want to fight. You're going, listen. <laughs> Fighting... Is what fight with white. <laughs> it's an option. <laughs> you fight regular men off the street and like one more comes in every 10 minutes and we see how long it goes on for. Yeah. And... You have to keep fighting until the first guy regains consciousness. They're not allowed to get yeah, no, no oxygen, nothing. You've got to <laughs> knock them out and keep <laughs> knocking them out until the first guy regains consciousness. <laughs> because I've no doubt in a street fight, Dillian White is a weapon. Oh, like I would not ever, ever, yeah. ever want to be on the other end of Dillian White in a street fight. Because there's no... Dillian White street fight. There's... Dillian White Street Fight. And there's no rule, so you could basically put his hands in plaster casts and have just blokes running. <laughs> Whack. <laughs> just no one running at him. Just people <laughs> cowering in a corner. <laughs> He's like, and he I don't even want to do over. this. Just, <laughs> just pounding You're stood behind the camera just holding the contract and pointing at it. Come on, Dillian. Pounding the shit out of a, a bank clerk <laughs> from Essex. show. I apply for Love Island. <laughs> it's like jury duty once you called up. You've got to go. <laughs> so we've been through the options. <laughs> this, now this 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 meeting's gone on for forty five minutes. But what what career advice have you finally got round to convincing you that he wants to be a boxer and nothing else? <laughs> to fight with whites off the table. Tea, black or white, with Dillian White. It's like it's like a bed and breakfast program. And he's turned that down as well. And you're running out of ideas. You're running out of ideas. You're like, right, fine. Let's talk about boxing then. Don't leave, Dill. Sit sit back down. (laughs) 
Right. Just carry on doing what you're doing, really. <laughs> uh, <laughs> who who does it what what is your plan going forward for him? I would honestly, my view would be keep doing what you're doing. Eventually someone will make you a mandatory anyway. Like because you make loads of money on your fights. Those Sky Sports box office fights make millions for him. Yeah. And a governing body will want to attach their belt to those kind of millions of pounds, right? They're drawn into money. That's what happens. And so, eventually, one of them will come knocking, especially if these belts get scattered. If something happens with Ruiz, and he says, nah, fuck it, I don't want that WBO oh, title. Because the WBO were talking about stripping him. Because? Um, well, he... What was it the IBF? The WBO talked about it because there was even talk about it being on the line for Fury Schwartz last night. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Which didn't happen. Um, but, you know, smoke without fire and all that. Um, but the IBF, because he is meant to have a mandatory now, Andy Ruiz, and he can't because he's got the Joshua rematch signed off, like they may well end up saying, like they did with Fury, well, you can't do that. You need to fight your mandatory. We'll take that belt back. So these belts could end up potentially getting scattered somewhere. And I'm sure Dillian White is an attractive proposition to put your belt upon or allow him to fight for it because of the money that he generates. He generates more than a Kubrat Pulev does. Like for a governing body, you want a slice of that money. You want some of that sanctioning fee. It's attractive. So if I was advising Dillian White, just keep doing what you're doing because eventually you will become a mandatory mm. somewhere and you will get those fights. But in the meantime, you're picking up more than 99.9% .9 of boxers out there for fighting people that aren't world champions. Whilst he's ticking along in the background getting these wins, it almost feels like he's a, a great defence in waiting for somebody to go, you know what, that would be a good fight. The more he's building his profile and not having that mandatory position, he's got the loss to Joshua in his record, but you could argue that they've both come a long way since then and the fight would be a different prospect now. Yeah. So... It's not like, it feels like someone like Joseph Parker, for example, irrespective of the fact that I don't rate him anyway, it feels like he's a bit like damaged goods at this point, whereas Dillian White doesn't feel like that. No. It feels like he's a legitimate... It feels like he's peaking. Yeah, a legitimate defence in waiting for... And also, he's handy for matching. Because if they do get Joshua back to that top of the tree, he's a great guard dog for Joshua. Like, as much as he won't want to be that, but... Any heavyweights coming through, when you look at the upcoming fighters that are coming through, the Joe Joyce's of this world, uh, Hergovic, um, the, the Nigerian fellow, I can't remember the name of, F.A., um, somebody, Asagba, something like that, Ajar, if... Um But all those people, Matchroom can throw Dillian White at before they get to Joshua. Joshua's always going to be their main money man. White's a, a brilliant backup plan. Do you know what? And I can see if... if... If Joshua lost to Ruiz, I could see one of, uh, in, the, in the rematch, I could see one of the eventual governing bodies saying, well, you two fight for a mandatory position. <laughs> yeah. But I, and White losing his shit. <laughs> that'd be amazing. <laughs> but I could see if Joshua did lose to Ruiz and it was clear that he's his bogeyman, then you wouldn't be surprised to see Hearn trying to push White in for Ruiz. What, and then try and face him off against Joshua? 
Well, just to get the belts back. Yeah. Like, if Joshua can't do it, fine, we'll go to the next one. Well, if I'm Hearn, that's what I would be doing. If yeah. it turns out that, look, that's just the man that can beat Joshua. If that just happens... Is White under Hearn? Yeah. He is still under Hearn? Yes, but no, he it's not long-term. It's right, not contractually, okay. like, the next 10 fights. I don't think it's any fights. I think it's just fight by fight. Yeah. Um, Which puts White in a fantastic position, but... If I was Hearn, I would be waiting out to see how that Joshua Ruiz fight plays out. And then if Joshua loses again, you do all that you can to get White into that next spot to be the first defence. Or oh, the first defence after Joshua. So is he the most entitled crybaby in the sport? Or is, or is he just playing that role at the moment? I think he's just playing that role and I think he's doing a very good job of it. And I think in the meantime... He's making more money than you and I can imagine and 99.9% .9 of boxers can imagine. And I think he's probably okay with that. I, I would be surprised if he wasn't. Okay. Uh, Temps asks, are you happy that Hearns moved from, on from a Transformers duvet to Transformer PJs? <laughs> what do you prefer? That's in reference to uh, an IFL interview with Coogan Cassius. Yeah. So uh, where he just goes on about, about it again. It was, po it was post AJ fight was it not yeah people uh, in their transformers PJ pjs at home in fact it was the it was the clip we played last before last week yeah that's right last week's pod so are you happy that he's gone from transformer duvet what I, I i just don't get him how he's how he seems to think that the only people that object to the way that he conducts things are these tragic figures that somehow <laughs> somehow deserve derision <laughs> do you know what I mean anyone who doesn't think that he's doing exactly what he should be doing in the sport is therefore some sort of figure for for contempt it's mad isn't it if you're a detractor then you live in your mum's house and you wear Transformers PJs uh, but, but it's, it's that's a shorthand for saying that that is what a loser is and therefore I shouldn't be paying attention to those people 100%. You know, and, and boxers do the same thing. Boxers say, well, I said Barry from Barnsley earlier. That was Crawler saying it before he fought Lomachenko. And he was saying like, oh, Barry from Barnsley doesn't think that I can beat Lomachenko, so I shouldn't fight him. It's not about that. It's just saying, I don't think you can beat Lomachenko because he's fucking miles better than you. <laughs> no offence, but he is. And that proved to be the case. And if Lomachenko only has 10 fights left in his career, I don't want one of them to be against you. <laughs> not to waste <laughs> go against someone who I know he can beat that he's levels above now yeah. that's not being offensive it's just Anthony Crawler I like watching his fights and I'm happy to watch him fight people of his level but we knew that Lomachenko wasn't Oh, Dare to be Great. Dare to be Great ends up with every motherfucker in hospital. Yeah. It ends up, the only thing Dare yeah. to be Great does is end up filling A&E. Because like, 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 you end up with Brooke getting his fucking eye socket done against um, uh, Triple G. You end up with Khan getting iced yeah. against Canelo. You end up with Crawler getting stopped early doors against Lomachenko. Dare into AJ getting iced against Ruiz. <laughs> 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 you end up with Fielding getting battered by Canelo After every time every time you hear the words just like Transformer Duvet is shorthand for you're an absolute loser who does everything wrong Don't Dare to be great is shorthand for I'm going to get this bastard knocked out clean yeah and yet by saying that I'm already putting myself in the Transformer Duvet category do you know what I mean? Like because we're yeah. critiquing what is going on, because you're holding, trying to hold them to account in some way, then we're in the wrong for doing out. so. Yeah. Like 
I'm not a matchroom hater, and I know Terry's been getting the criticism um, from various people of like, you hate matchroom. I don't think he hates matchroom. I think he just doesn't like the product they always give us. Now, there are times they put on fantastic shows. There are times Warren puts on fantastic shows. There are times both of them put on garbage. Mm. Now, they're the privileged ones with the TV money, with the stable of fighters that should be doing as good as possible. The criticism comes when they don't. When they put in Kroller versus Lomachenko. Like, for example, like you said, Lomachenko's got 10 more fights in in his career. So if you were said to a group of lads, you went, Hey lads, look, look at these amazing like this you've got this wasteland, you've got ten of these super duper bombs. They will blow up anything. Try what you like. You're like, all right, okay, let's see if this super duper bomb can blow up a cardboard box. <laughs> Gaz, really? Like that's there's Everything a real lack of imagination there. Let's try something really big. Well, we'll try a cardboard box first, then we'll try a brick, then we'll try well, you're wasting bombs here. Let's see what it can do. About and 40 tons of dynamite with Dillian White. Well. Dillian hosting this. Yeah. So what <laughs> What will 40 tons of dynamite blow up? Well, we'll find out on the program. Yeah, and, that, and that's the premise, yeah? Yeah. And if yeah. you started with a cardboard box, you'd be really annoyed that someone had picked that. Yeah. Whereas if you pick like a row of houses, not with anyone in them, let's find out what it does to them. But yeah, yeah look. I'm just thinking, like, you've got me thinking now. You've got my juices flowing. Bed bugs and mites with Dillian White. And he could be, like, a housing inspector. <laughs> like Dion Dublin. He could team yeah. up with Dion Dublin, yeah. who does Homes Under the Hammer. Yeah. Like, Dion's going around valuing it, and Dillian's taking value off because there's bed yeah. bugs. <laughs> and mites. Dion Dublin playing the jube. Actually, mites don't come into it, but they're used in the description just to rhyme with white but you never actually see anything that resembles a mite it's always bed bugs and you get viewers complaints i haven't seen any mites yet what's the point of having dillian white on board like don't worry dillian just ride this storm out people are loving it i often wonder without terry being here whether people will criticize our lack of boxing content (laughs) (laughs) i think they might dillian white They'll love it. They'll, they'll be thinking, oh, it's TV gold. But look, going back to what I was saying, we're right to hold people to account, but there's also praise. So Warrington Galahad turned out to be not the most attractive fight to watch. Doesn't stop the fact that it was a brilliant fight to put together. It was worth putting together. On normal BT. There was no pay-per-view attached to that. It was just on normal BT. Now, I know someone's going to tweet me going, yeah, but it's not free. You have to pay for BT. No, I appreciate that entirely. But for just putting it on normal BT, it's a great thing. And that card was fairly solid undercard as well. You had like Zelfa Barrett, Liam Woodstock, the Barrett won on points. Um, it was a good enough headline fight alone to have, in this day and age, warranted a pay-per-view show. But they didn't. They shoved it on standard BT and we should praise that. So fair play to Frank Warren and all at BT for, for putting that on standard BT because... That was a good on paper headline fight, and that should be praised. Aaron asks, "It's now two weeks on from the Joshua loss, and Matchroom Sky and DAZN are still in business. If, like Terry said, they're all doomed, when will uh, when will they all go into administration, or is Terry off his nut?" <laughs> <laughs> Aaron McPhail asks the question. He's not off his nut. He's um, not off his nut. Um, well, that's th- why they're diversifying the programming with Dill. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's exactly know, what I was about to say. I think if the boxing's doomed, this kind of we can almost join this to what the answer was a minute ago. I think Ter- Terry does get a lot of flack for the matchroom stuff, and don't get me wrong. Like we've we've said to him before that sometimes well I've said to him it goes over the top with it. Uh, I tried to hold into account last week on the pod. I enjoyed that, by the way. To to just try and nail him down with, you know, what do you think to this? What do you think to that? And uh, I think Aaron was one of the guys that came on board and asked him some questions about it. Um, but I think what Terry's getting at is that, and I'm not sure Terry would, would describe it this way, but if you take the fans for granted in any sport, eventually it will come back to bite you. And that's what boxing fans are time and again, they are taken for granted, i.e., oh, we've got a great card this weekend. And then it features a load of boxers that most people either haven't heard of or a load of boxers that you'd love to see fighting each other, but they're all versus TBA. And it's Hobson show. (laughs) 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 Maybe. Um, I think what Terry was getting at, and I think he's entirely right, is that the matchroom business model will have to shift if Joshua isn't the world champion. The matchroom forecast of finances will have to shift. Now, for years, we've been saying it on here, and David McGinley, one of our listeners over in Ireland, is a, an advocate of this. There's a boxing bubble. There's been a boxing bubble that at some point will have to burst. Now, in the meantime, while that bubble's growing, you're bringing more and more and more fans on board. Can we explain... Why there's a boxing bubble, or or at least what what, what is the due symptoms to. of it are? Okay, pay per view. Like if you, you rewind the clock fifteen years, pay per view died. It was only Carl Froch versus Kessler that brought it back, but pay per view was utilised for the biggest fights going. Lewis Tyson, that was a pay per view over here. Hatton Mayweather, Hatton Pacquiao. They were pay-per-view fights. They were the biggest British fighters versus the biggest world fighters. That's what quantified a pay-per-view over here. Now, this boxing bubble, as boxing has become bigger as a sport, you'll start to see those that have the ability to cash in do so. So they start making pay-per-view cards that 15 years ago, people would have laughed at as a pay-per-view card. Fury Schwartz last night was BT pay-per-view. White Revis in a couple of weeks is pay-per-view on Sky. Fury Schwartz was pay-per-view. Yep. That's mad. Yep. Who on earth was paying for that? Fucking hell, I've no idea. At least they got to hear an Aerosmith song (laughs) rendition from Tyson afterwards. But, you know, as the sport has increased, as the sport has been able to fill up 80,000 stadiums for one man, the people, those on the peripheries of it have benefited. So you're Dillian White, who isn't a world champion. This will be what, his third pay-per-view card? Parker, Chisora 2, and then this Revis one. Hasn't held a world title. That's fucking bonkers when you think about it. This will be his third headline in pay-per-view card. But is that a bubble, or is that just like normalising pay-per-view? Okay. But if Joshua... Say Joshua retired. It's not unfathomable that this could happen. If he lost to Ruiz in the rematch and actually thought, do you know what? I'm not as good as I thought I was. If I can't be the best, I don't want to be involved in the sport. All right. Well, it, wh- regardless that, of his merits, let's, let's have a Take leap. that storyline. Right, yeah. 
all those fans who came along with Joshua and got on board the Joshua train. Where do they go? They don't care yeah. about boxing as a whole. They don't look at it holistically and say, right, I'm now going to disperse and become a Dillian White fan. I'm now going to disperse and become a Joe Joyce fan. They just disappear from the sport. Oh. And actually, without all those people also engaged with Joshua think- buying the Sky product, then a lot of that money disappears from the sport. But do you think how... Uh, just figuratively what do you think percentage of that 90,000 seat stadium were people that purely and solely follow Joshua 60% really yeah if not higher I think 60% is being conservative and so like how many of those people go to York Hall on a Saturday night how many people go to a next gen show yeah but like okay so there's people like me, I wouldn't consider myself one of those people, but I'd consider myself maybe, you know, not far off from one of those people that I would go to a, I would go to a, uh, say, if, for example, Dillian White fought Wilder in this country, I would go and watch that. I would, if, uh, you know, I've been to watch Frotch. So there's a few fighters in big fights that I would, like, f- frankly, if Fury had a world title fight in this country, I would watch him. I would want to go and watch him. I'd maybe even go as far if I if there was like a Billy Joe Saunders Chris Eubank rematch. I might go and see that. But you're sat on a boxing podcast. You're not <laughs> as much as you may be the most casual, member, including our listeners. Of the team, yeah, <laughs> including our listeners. <laughs> yeah, you're still educated enough about the sport to know these names. I would hasten a guess that a lot of Joshua fans couldn't name anyone else in the sport. It wouldn't surprise me, other than his opponents. And l- so that bubble is purely down to Joshua. I'm not saying it's purely. I'm saying that Joshua has grown the sport. Right. But now that he's lost that Superman, and he has grown the sport, and it's a brilliant thing. We shouldn't criticise it. We should praise it. It's a brilliant thing. But now that that Superman aura isn't there any longer, and if he lost again to Ruiz, and if he walked away from the sport, there's a lot of money that goes out of the sport with that. If he beats Ruiz, look, for a start, I think the Ruiz fight now is worth more money than the original Ruiz fight. Yeah. 100%. So much more. Yeah. Future earnings, if nothing else. Yep. I think that rematch is worth more than the original fight was. Probably the most important fight of his career. Maybe, in terms of narrative, maybe not as valuable as Klitschko because of what it gave him afterwards, potentially. No, I would say it is. I but, would say it's yeah, the but biggest. Maybe, yeah, but you know, because he can, can come away from back? this... Can he do it? If he does win, he can go, I was, you can make up any kind of old but shit it, that why he lost the first fight. Yeah, and if he wins this fight, then everything's all okay. And everything can start going back to those financial plans of last year. If he loses the fight, I think there does have to be a shift. What, what, do, you, what do you do if... Let's... let's for example, say that Hearn at this point and Joshua have sat down and they're like, you're fragile. I'll be working this out. <laughs> so, so, so they've... Sit so on the right with might Dillian be, White. See, they might be... They might be concerned about Joshua, right? He wins the, the Ruiz match. What is their tactic here? Do they try and squeeze much amount of fans with bullshit fights or do they just go for cash-out fights? Depends how long Joshua wants to be in the sport, what risks he wants to take. That's a huge... Look, we now know what the problems are. Fast hands, combinations, punching to the body, all those things cause Joshua a problem. We kind of suspected it, but now we can prove it. 
how many risks he want to take. You know, if he wins this Ruiz fight, then I'd imagine Rob McCracken, if he's still there in the team, will be a big influence upon who he fights in the future and what risks they take. If they want to take risks, cool. They can. But how long does he want to be in the sport for as well? That's probably the biggest thing. If he says, I've got a 10-year timeline still, then they can do a slow burner. They can take a few money-making fights and get his confidence back. If he says, I've only got 12 months left, get me the biggest money, then it's a different approach. Christy Norcorn asks, what makes a great fight? Since the AJ loss, I've heard many boxing people um, involved in the media say it's a great fight that can sit amongst the best fights in history. Yes, it was a shock, but was it a great fight? What makes a great fight? The outcome, the boxing display on show, or purely the names involved in the fight? Christian asks some brilliant questions, doesn't he? Yes. He does. Like, I haven't got an answer to that. What makes a great fight is subjective. A great fight for you, like Andy, a great fight for you, and I know this for a fact, you love, is Fury Klitschko. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. And yet 90% of boxing fans would say it was a bit of a dull affair <laughs> and nothing really happened. Yeah. I, I, what I liked... Okay, so maybe this will help answer that question then. For me, is I think it would be a combination of historical significance, which is something that grows over time, I would, I would say. I mean, you've obviously got that instant impact of the result based... Well, for that, it was a world title shift, uh, like an, a tectonic shift of world titles. Um, but also, for me, it was a fight that that was able, it, it almost like it matured. I could go back and watch that and see things that, it was. It educated me watching Fury ride the punches from Klitschko that, that they later caught out. Anthony Joshua yep. and watching Tyson move and just just the way he managed that ring. Um I also I also think it it depends on the drama involved in the fight. Now you you look at the you look at Fury as a character, look at <clears throat> two fights he's been involved in. Now you you look at someone like Joshua, who had the fight against Klitschko, who went, that was that was crazy. Fury had the fight against Wilder, which was crazy. But if you look at the clear of Fury Klitschko, I remember sitting there on the edge of my seat in the, I think it was, I can't remember if it was the 11th, but it was definitely the 12th. It might have been the 11th as well. Klitschko knows he's struggling and he comes out swinging. And in the 12th round especially, Fury's hanging on. That's what it feels like, but he's managing that fight. When you, you were there in the moment, your heart's in your mouth. Later on, you look at it and he's managing that fight. He's wrapping up Klitschko. He's dodging where he can. He's riding shots where he can. And he's taking the shots where he, where he can. And just managing everything that Klitschko can throw at him. And Klitschko's getting more and more desperate. So all of those things combined made me look at that and think it was just such a rich, a rich fight to, to behold. Whereas you look at something like Chisora White, which had nothing riding on it, for the most part. It was a war. Lots of people would say it was a much more interesting fight. But all that really confirmed to me was that even though Dillian White's improved, he hasn't... If he, if Chisora can take him that far, then maybe, unless Chisora's his bogeyman, he hasn't got what it takes to be a world champion. 
so and and it doesn't the the fight doesn't have much of a deeper impact in terms of its technical technical over um sort of overview as something like the fury klitschko so for me it would be a combination of things yeah i agree like everyone's gonna have a different perspective on it and it's a subjective thing that if you love blood and guts and you know like yeah, knockdowns get and getting up and all that stuff then gatty ward is probably like a classic fight if you like the technical aspect and the almost the story that goes with it then klitschko fury is probably your ideal fight Joshua Ruiz like it will go down in history it will because people still talk about when Mike Tyson lost yeah and people will talk about Joshua losing to Ruiz in the same vein irrespective of what happens in the rematch they will talk about that in the same vein if Joshua beats him they'll probably talk about it even more in the yeah. same vein <laughs> yeah so, Ruiz becomes a legend if yeah, he beats he Joshua again. <laughs> he does. It's like he's got a six-foot python at that point. Like, he's top of the tree. <laughs> yeah. Even in losing, he, he his value goes up. Um, so that will go down as a, a classic moment. Whether it's a classic fight, I don't know. Like, I would say... it was. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Okay, so what is your one of your favourite fights? One of my favourite... Looking back, see, do, do you do you prefer when you look back at classic fighters? Do you prefer a frotch type fighter or do you prefer a Mayweather type frotch, fighter? All day long, like, so blood and guts. I, yeah, I realise it's probably a do. bit simplification, but I would still enjoy watching Mayweather and appreciating what he does. But if I'm gonna sit, if someone told me at the beginning of a fight this has to go twelve rounds, then like irrespective of what happens it has to go 12 rounds then I'll pick Frotch in one corner all day long because I enjoy watching him for 12 yeah. rounds of a fight like mainly because you know that he's going to come out and like probably try and make it a boxing match and then within two or three rounds he's going to make it a fight like I love watching that that switch within Frotch that like as much as he may be a boxer he's still like a hard bastard who just wants to go in there and, and fucking trade with you yeah I, I, I enjoy that almost like a hard, any time in the fight he can get clipped with something and he goes like up to that point he's been like right I'm going to try and do this like once, he he gets <laughs> once he gets clipped he goes right fuck this <laughs> yeah well you remember back to that Groves 1 fight where it's like he's sat in the corner and he doesn't know what happened like when he's been knocked down, he takes that right hand off Groves. He sits down. He says to McCracken, "Like, what happened there? I've, I've no idea." <laughs> and at the end of the fight, he doesn't even remember that he's been dropped. He's been hit that hard. But you know, he's then on shaky legs for a few rounds. <laughs> that to me, just brilliant, brilliant. They were brain damage for Frotch. <laughs> Not great for him. <laughs> they were they were great fights. Really they were great fights. I would have been, I'd be interested to hear what. Well, that would be good. Just send us send us in some what your favourite fights are. It'd be good to go over that next time we have the next time we have the pod. Right. I did say earlier that I was going to fire questions at you and then we actually talked at did length. You? I about, don't remember that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. Matt Black, do you think the World Boxing Super Series is a busted flush? Before you ask that, I just want to go Riku Haikler also asked, does the, w, uh, does the World Boxing Super Series run the risk of ruining the long-term prospects of the tournament by falling out with the WBC? I'm assuming those two questions are linked. So I <coughs> ask you them together. So WBC came out this week. I know you want to quick fire through some of these, but no, this, no, this no, isn't I'll, really I'll, one that I can. That's fair enough. 
So WBC what? came out on Friday and put a tweet out that <laughs> said like the WBC title was meant to be on the line in the cruiserweight division this weekend and they came out and said it's not anymore. Um, so the tweet read one of two WBC withdraws its sanctioning of the Bradis versus Glowacki fight. The administrators of the World Boxing Super Series tournament have failed to maintain the integrity of the bout and have disregarded the WBC rules and regulations. The WBC strongly rejects the unfortunate discrimination and abuse of power that has been directed against the integrity of our institution. The WBC will evaluate its continuing participation in the remaining WBSS bouts in Season 2 and will announce its decision soon. So they didn't actually say what's gone on, other than the key part of that was the World Boxing Super Series has failed to maintain the integrity of the bout. Like, for the WBC to talk about integrity is fucking bananas. It's the same lot that have sanctioned Amir Khan versus some guy who's, like, 11 and 3 or something. Hold on, hold for... on. Are you suggesting hypocrisy in boxing? No. <laughs> yeah. Um, they've sanctioned that for its pearl belt. They've made up a belt for it, and I think that is going to make the winner mandatory for their actual title. Like Pearl? I know what like it's not the most manly of belts, is it? You've got the running pearl... out of stuff to attach to the belt. They genuinely are. They're having to go through one of those B and Q paint magazines and like <laughs> pick out different colour names. But um so for them to question someone's integrity is laughable. Um and so it came out the WBC is again from Mauricio Suleiman of the WBC. The WBC has fully supported this fight, blah 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 blah. If the officials are confirmed, as per agreed, two from the WBC and two from the WBO, then it's on. Um, It's a matter of ring officials and rules. Organisations are supposed to work in harmony, mutual agreements, yada, yada, yada. Um, So, yeah, basically what's happening is they seem to have withdrawn the WBC belts from the World Boxing Super Series. I don't know if this came to... Uh, an agreement in the end and whether the WBC belt was on the line for it. But I think what what boxing fans have enjoyed about the World Boxing Super Series is that belts have been a backseat. They've not really been relevant. So like the the main outcome of the World Boxing Super Series is to win the World Boxing Super Series. Isn't to become a world champion. Yeah. If that happens en route, like Josh Taylor became a world champion on the back of his last win people didn't really focus upon that. No. They actually focused upon his final against Progre, which is great. Like, the belt was irrelevant almost. Yeah. Um, you don't, I, you don't, I don't even remember what belts Callum Smith won. Yeah, off he of, won the WBC. Right. But you're right. Like, you remember he won the World Boxing Super Series. Yeah. You don't remember that he won the belt. So if I was the World Boxing Super Series, I'd tell him to go and fucking shove it up their ass. Yeah. Like, keep your sanction fees, you greedy little cunt. Like... But it makes sense for well, box uh, well, any of them to kick up a stink because they won't like the fact that it's superseding their. That there's ir- something their more important than yeah. a, a world title. Um, so yeah, I, I, I do think that the World Boxing Super Series has almost run its course, and that's such a shame because we're only in the second series. But all the stories you hear about fighters not getting paid within um, X period of time. The talk of fighters pulling out. Barancic was talking of pulling out before the Josh Taylor fight. The kind of the focus has drifted away from it somewhat and gone back to world titles. 
because they don't seem to have capitalised on the momentum that they had at one point. You think back to the delay in the Callum Smith-George Groves fight. For me, that almost killed it off as a, a spectacle. The whole idea was it starts and it ends in 12 months. You get 12 months of, of boxing stories, basically. And then once that's done, we're going to bring in some new characters and we'll start again. The moment you start saying, oh, actually, we can't do it in 12 months because someone's injured and you go against your own rules if we're going to bring in a replacement for the final, then you start to lose the integrity of it, I guess. Um, but the, mm. it's still putting on fantastic fights. You know, last night from Riga in Latvia, you had Bradis Glowacki, yeah, I think it was, uh, Gavodcic, and you had uh, Dortikos versus uh, Tabiti, and Dortikos got that fucking killer knockout I want to show you the services yeah, yeah, yeah. it punched him on the way down <laughs> um, so look the, the fights that they're they're generating out of this tournament are still fantastic but it does feel like the air has come out of tyres a little bit I, I just don't really I feel like even if you discovered a chest with a quadrillion pounds in it tomorrow, you still couldn't solve the problems in boxing. No, I agree. It's almost like it doesn't matter who you what you want to organise, whoever you're going to try and organise together, they're just insatiably greedy with what they yeah, want to take absolutely. out of it. It's all, in the end, it's like, right, how much do you want? I want 80%. No, no, what do you want? What would make you... I want 80%. But both of you want 80%. Why don't you take 50% of a three times bigger budget? Nah, because I'm worth more than him. No, I want 85 oh. What about a zillion McSquillian pounds? That, well, because that's not really a number, I suppose they might turn that down. But you know what I mean? Uh, a trillion pounds each. No, nah, I want trillion one pounds. It, 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 it feels unfathomably solvable, insolvable. I'll tell you what, WBC, WBA, IBF, WBO, there should be a, a new law, a worldwide law that says you can't make a profit in a year. And then see what happens. You know, if you all have to run at a zero, zero profit, zero cost, all you're allowed to do is break even, then they'd shut their mouths. Wouldn't they just pay their CEOs more? No, nah, no one's allowed to take home any money out of it at all. <laughs> Fuck them. Before we carry on, brief interlude, talking about cruiserweights, Ian Wellman had uh, tweeted me because he wants, he wants a full apology on the pod this week. Oh, I saw this. <laughs> yeah, it's popped up. Makabu, who uh, the one that Bell you defeated for the um, the WBC cruiserweight title. Speaking of that belt, um, uh, you know when he beat Makabu at Goodison Park, got off the canvas and then stopped him. He beat a incredibly washed Kudrajov today. <laughs> incredibly washed, like so washed. This is barely worth mentioning, Ian. <laughs> like, I love it. Makabu's the real deal. I expect a full apology on the pod. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Ian, go and yourself, right? And do it with a, oh, right? Oh, God, my ears. And then when you finish doing that, yourself oh. twice, right? Wow. Uh, no, so look, shout out to um, Ilunga Makabu, who is rebuilding the legacy that was almost destroyed by Bellew. Okay, uh, let's move on then. Dan Glosia. VIP. VIP. He can ask whatever question he wants. 
Is Tyson Fury a better boxer or marketer on the basis that people are crowning him as a resurrection of Ali after escaping from escaping from the jaws of a knockout loss with a draw in his only bout versus a top tier heavyweight since returning, and not much else? That's uh, acerbic, to That's say a the kick least. Kicking your bollocks, Andy, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> wow, Dan. Wow. Who's answering this one then? Um, you answer it, then I'll give my take because I know you're loving with Fury, Mike. Uh, it's not like I don't think I don't think I'm blind uh, blinded by the the uh, the Fury. I I, no, I like Fury. I haven't made any secret of that. But uh, as far as I'm aware, the only person that's mentioned him in terms of Ali is Bob Arum when he was in yes. the press conference. And in terms of comparing him to Ali. It wasn't that he is a second coming of Ali. It was more the case of that he, like Ali, is a character who who speaks of more than just uh, speaks to more than just his boxing about more than just his boxing. Now it's difficult with Ali because he stood for more, i.e., you know, during the civil rights era and stuff like that. I am grossly unqual- underqualified at that talking. But I think what he meant was the charisma that Fury has is something you don't often see in boxing, let alone heavyweight boxing. So I feel like I want to give him a pass for that because it's also promotion to try and just rev up some hype in the United States. Because if you actually sat him down in a room and said, do you think Fury is the next coming of Ali? I, I can't see someone as experienced as Bob Arum going, yeah, absolutely, 100%. He smoked a massive amount of weed. So. <laughs> Does he? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Allegedly, I, I, <laughs> um, in terms that's of, the new noise for when you've had to edit something out and we start again. <laughs> in uh, in terms of is Tyson a better boxer or marketer? Um, I think he's skilled in both areas. To be fair, um, he did a good job of building up the Wilder fight when, uh, even though people wanted to see it regardless. He started kicking off at the press conference and he has this uncanny ability to get people interested in the person that he is and invest in that personality, which is always important when you're trying to, when you're trying to get people to invest in something. It's always important for them to, to emotionally invest in the, character, the characters around it. And certainly with him, he drives that, that narrative that he is a crazy character that's totally unpredictable. And he's got a history of things like, you know, the classic Klitschko with the Batman outfit and all that sort of stuff. Um, I don't sense, though, that in this message you're asking, you're, you're, you're saying that he's a poor boxer. I just think you're maybe questioning his value since he came back. And I'd suggest that yeah, he did he he did just narrowly escape a knockout loss. But equally, if Wilder doesn't land those two punches and knock Tyson down, you can't down, say I'm, you can't use that argument. What? If Wilder never landed those punches, he did. Right, but then also Fury got off the canvas. So how do you then off? <laughs> so how do you the, you can't if you're going to you can't if you can't dismiss those punches then you can't dismiss the the ability to get off the canvas after those two mental punches you know they're just as they're just as valid as the punches were so if you are going to discount like just narrowly escaping a, a knockout well yeah but 
Wilder narrowly grabbed the draw yeah. by landing those two punches. It's a bit like when you buy something for £9 and you pay with a tenner, you just get the right amount of change. <laughs> right, I guess. If someone gives you a pound, it's not like, oh. Oh. Yeah. If they gave me 50p, I might question it. They it's gave correct. me a pound. I'm not expecting more than that. Yeah, I, I just, I think they, the pair of them earned a draw there from what they did. Fury climbed off the canvas. So, I th- and, and Wilder landed those two punches. I think he's a skilled marketer because we've seen what heavyweight boxing can be when you're not necessarily your own skilled marketer. Like, he has come back with a bang and managed to land himself. But remember, he's landed himself a contract and he hasn't even had a belt. I mean, last night they were bringing up that graphic that was saying that was the fourth defense of his lineal heavyweight <laughs> championship. He's just That's made up something. They're as, <laughs> they're as bad it, as like... It's not made like that That title in... When I say title, I mean in word, not in physical title, has been around since day dot. I get that. But nobody's ever like... Tried to cash in so... Rela- and cash in without anything else with it. Yeah, yeah, it's not like they go and the new WBO, IBF, WBA, WBC, lineal. They don't do that. It's literally only Tyson Fury that's had this attached to him lately to somehow legitimize it. Yeah, and it's so, mad. So on that basis, it's it's a crack. That's a cracking piece of marketing, especially when, like we've seen with other boxers. If you don't have that cut and thrust and you can you can cut through the noise, you aren't able to promote yourself. He's done a he's done a great job. And and he announced last on the post match uh, the post boxing uh, the fo- post fight press conference rather, he mentioned that he was gonna have the next three fights in America. So he So I think what he said he's gonna fight September or October, and then he wants the Wilder fight. He said, I'm coming for Wilder after that. That's enough from me anyway. What do you think? I forgot what a bloody question was, if I'm honest. Um, uh, a better boxer or marketer? On that basis... He's uh, tremendous at both. Like, it's easy to forget. Since he's been back, the only wins he's had are Seferi, Pianetta, Schwartz. <laughs> yeah. Those are the only wins yeah. he's had. He doesn't hold a world title. It's easy to forget all of those uh, things. Um, so yeah, the lineal title. <laughs> Thank you. Um, because of everything that he is and everything that goes along with him. The questions were answered against Wilder. Has he still got it? Yes, he has. Has the the journey that he's been on taken anything out of him? We'll find out in time. I, I don't think that Wilder fight necessarily gave us all the answers. But look, he's... He's so headstrong when you look at him. Yeah. Um, and I appreciate he's had all the mental health issues and um, all of that stuff. But to hear him talk, there is not an ounce of doubt about him. It feels like he's come back stronger. Agreed. It's almost like he's broken and come back. Yeah. And he's he's less, it feels to me like he's less erratic than And he also, used to be. when you say about stronger, like how much confidence will getting up from that world of punch and yeah. pissing around for the next two minutes like mocking him almost, how much confidence would that give him in the ring? If there were question marks about has he still got anything left, they were, those were answered. Yeah. Um, whether there's any longer-term damage to his body and things, like you know, Hatton didn't have a long career because of the way he treated his body. 
whether that happens with Fury, we'll only know in time. Uh, um, just, I don't want to digress too much on that path, but Hatton ballooned and slimmed down often, didn't he? Whereas, between every fight. I, I really, I, Tyson hasn't done, he's only done that once. I know he's done that to uh, a very extreme... Yeah, but he, he doesn't necessarily live the boxing lifestyle away from boxing, which isn't a bad thing. You know, we've said about it on here before that boxers shouldn't necessarily be back in the gym on a Monday after fighting on the Saturday. They should live life a little bit. Fury has done that quite a lot, I think. Maybe not to the Hatton extent. Um, okay, so can I ask you, in terms of boxing, what what fights could... If, if you were going to try and line up some fights for Fury to actually test him... Who could be a good test for him? Why do we want to test him? Like he went in the deepest of water with Joshua. Uh, sorry, with Wilder. Like I don't want to see any test fights. I don't want to see. No, I don't either. I, I want to see Wilder, Joshua, and Fury. Wilder, Joshua, and Fury. Fury maybe White. Um, but who, who is if he wants, which he looks like he does, he wants some more fights. Who can you match him up? Match him up against that's worth fighting. Is it we, Joyce? Make it a domestic yeah. fight. Bring it back here. Don't worry about the American bit for a while. Um, Joyce. Oh, we're going to see him fight someone like AJ Miller or something, aren't we? Or it's, it's going to be there's someone There's a fair else chance. Just... I didn't really know who Tom Shorts was. I'd never seen him fight. I just knew he sat in the WBO rankings at like number three, number six, wherever it was. There will be another one of those knocking about somewhere that Aram and Warren can try and sell us um, as being legitimate. Like, there will be someone out there that carries a good enough record, someone that they can drag out of the Argentinian embassy and bring him down for the evening. I think, at the moment, Dan, it's probably fair to say that the, the Wilder fight was the highlight of his boxing, uh, boxing skill, but generally, since he's come back, he's been... It, it's the mar- underwhelming. Marketing has been has been his biggest strength. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not allow the Wilder fight to overshadow the fact his return has been underwhelming. Yeah, okay. he's been out for six months prior to last night. Okay, on- six months to build up to that. <laughs> well, on fuck top- off. So then, Christian Allcorn actually asked another question. Fury Schwartz, uh, Fury Schwartz, a complete mismatch. The heavyweight division is trash. Three or four elite level fighters. Nothing else out there. Once the big fighters have fought each other, no wonder the promoters are putting them off. Discuss. Another good question. It is. Uh, right, so just let's just quickly go over, because it won't take long. The fight was only like eight minutes long. Um, the Fury-Schwartz fight. Schwartz fight. Um, Fury stops... It's Schwartz pointless. Let's not talk about it. In the, second, in the second round. So, it's bam. Cr- <laughs> Right, okay. I know, but there would be some people who just want to hear. So, right. Okay, so answer the question directly then. The heavyweight division is trash. Agreed? Right. I think it needs a slightly more nuanced approach than just to say it's trash, right? Agreed. Because to say it's trash is to imply that every other division is better than the heavyweights. Or that there's... It's to no imply. elite fighters in the in the heavyweight division. I think what he's saying is there are elite fighters, just that there's only four of them at the top, and then everyone else is like struggling below. But I was thinking this yeah. when I read the question. Actually, like if you said, okay, there's Fury, Wilder, Joshua, maybe White. Yeah, Let's go with those. He's four. on the border. Let's go yeah. with those four. 
like what other division has four top people that you want to see basically just fight each other continuously until they retire or until someone else comes in and makes it five what other division cruiserweight probably yes to be fair and i started looking through the other like light heavyweight if i go by what the box rec rankings are like we'll accept them as being near as damn it near as damn it like light heavyweight kovalev gvodchic bivol alvarez brown hart no they're not you know you're not swamped with superstars super middleweight Callum Smith Eubank Jr Billy Joe Saunders Ramirez John Ryder Rocky (laughs) Fielding Willie Monroe Jr right super middleweight can get in the bin as well then (laughs) not problem with that get get in the sea yep (laughs) off it goes middleweight Alvarez Golovkin Jacobs Charlo Jeff Horn David Lemieux, mm, Demetrius Andrade. Right, bin. bin. Um, I'm not going to go through every division, but let's just, you know, I'm picking out a few of the more... Straw weight is hot weight at the moment. Super weight, light middleweight. Jamie Mungoya, Julian Williams, Erislandi Lara, Jarrett Hurd, Kel Brook, Jesse Vargas, Tony Harrison. Lightweight? Right. So What's lightweight looking like at the moment? Lomachenko, Garcia... Pedraza, Comi, Selby, Crawler, Nakatani. Like, all of these divisions have got, like, one or two names, maybe three, that you're really happy to see fight one another. Which sits in line with heavyweights. And the heavyweight's got four. And... Three, maybe four. Yeah, and from a British perspective, you've also got some outliers, that, like you just suggested then, Joe Joyce. Actually, I'd quite like to see him fight someone worth fighting. Yeah, so, look. I'm not saying that heavyweights are stacked with like. I'm not saying it's a division that's rich with no. talent that we want to see those three face number eleven because we don't. But to have three, maybe four, and then possibly Usyk in the future, um, along with a talent pool that's growing underneath it. So your likes of Hergovic, Joyce, um, the Nigerian fellow, I forgot the name off again. All these people coming through, actually, like. A heavyweight division is fairly poor, but so is every other division. What constitutes a good weight division? I mean, because you could say 20 elite fighters, but that's not never going to It's unrealistic, isn't it? But like, I don't know. Like, we would be blessed to have a super middleweight division with 15 fighters who have all held the world title at some point and swapped it round and he's beaten him and he's beaten him. If you look back over the last 20 years, can you remember like a peak time in any weight division where you're like, wow, there's lots here. What strikes you as a particular highlight? Probably super middleweight. Like going back to the era of Eubank, Ben, Watson, those were just the British names. And then you had um, overseas fighters, like the American scene at the time was huge and our Brits wouldn't necessarily want to go over there apart from Ben who did Um, you know that was a good era for one division I'm not saying all divisions and like yes it might be a bit trash but I think it's only rose tinted glasses that makes us believe that we're in a poor period now Yeah, and that everyone else had it better I don't think everyone else necessarily did have it better I just think we have to accept what it is. Uh, okay, moving on. How Joe, long have we been on? 
uh, an hour and 38. It's only meant to be a short one, wasn't yeah, it? it was. I promised your missus. Joe Porter asks, would you Is like that to see... Andy? <laughs> Joe Oi. Porter asks... Oi. Shin heat or something? I, I told you my answer, but we had to tambourine it out. <laughs> <laughs> you told me what you're going to do to her. <laughs> Tell you what I'm going to do. <laughs> and then... <laughs> with some... Anyway, Joe Porter asks, who would you like to see Fabio Wardle fight in his next five bouts? Fabio Wardle, your penis. What? Um, Ward- oh, he's written Wardle, or is it, or is it just my pronunciation of It's Wardle. got a Y on the end. Oh, sure. there we go. Wardle. 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 I don't want to see him rushed. He's a big heavyweight. He's one of Dillian White's fighters who's fighting... Um, he's the kind of guy you would see he's the one that fought that massively overweight fella the massively overweight fella oh yeah uh, it's him he's not the overweight fella he's you know in good shape and um, who would I want to see him fight? I don't want to see him rushed at all like I just want to see him fight give me a Kamil Sokolowski who got a win again last night like talented journeyman the one that fought David Price down the MTK show in London Possibly should have got the win. Um, fighters of a, a Sokolowski level, that there aren't many of him around. He's a, a very dangerous journeyman that on his night, he's the one that dropped Lucas Brown before Lucas Brown fought Dave Allen. Um, but I'm happy if in five, I suppose in five fights time, I would be happy if Wardley was fighting for an English title. I don't even think he should be at British level at that point. He's a young man. He's not had many fights. He needs seasoning, in Terry's words. Um, yeah, I'd like to see him just just progress slowly. I, I don't see the need to keep rushing prospects. Aaron asks, can you discuss the pros and cons to having a f- f- football-based fan base? Is it good or bad for the boxer? I suppose in reference to Josh Warrington last night... Um, I think we touched on earlier the kind of behaviour of the fans against Galahad and his team at the weigh-in. It's not for me. Um, you know, like they, they pretty much chased Galahad and his team out of the weigh-in at the end. I think that's how IFL worded it anyway. Um, look, it's, if it brings money into the sport, that's a good thing. If it fills up arenas, that's a good thing. It creates opportunities for all those lads who were on the undercard last night. That's a good thing. I think we've seen in the past that um, it can lead to trouble, but so boxing fans can bring their own trouble. It doesn't necessarily need football fans to add that element to it. Um, so, yeah, there, there are positives and negatives to it, but I think a lot of fans will always cross over between football and boxing anyway. They, they kind of go hand in hand. Uh, Riku Huckler asks, do you think British media and fans drive away some of our best fighters to the US? Nope, I think money does. I think DAZN and ESPN have bigger pockets right now than Sky and BT do. It's simple as that. Uh, and finally, Steve Mock asks, who wins, Gorman or Dubois? I like that. Uh, when are they fighting? It's soon, isn't it? July. I'm going Gorman. Gorman points. Because I think... 
Dubois seems to have that plan A of like, I'm going to plow through you and I'm going to hit you really fucking hard until you fall over. But if that doesn't work, as we saw against Kevin Johnson, then there is no plan B. There's no backup. It's not, he doesn't seem to have the... I don't mean this horribly, but he doesn't have that boxing intelligence to switch things up as they're happening, like make the adjustments live. Has he come into the sport late? No, not at all. He's a young. He's still young now. He's like, was he 21 or something? Despite the fact... I mean, he might be a dark horse for the top three. He's a huge lad. Um... It'll be a good fight. It will be a really good fight. And again, look, praise Frank Warren for putting that fight on. You didn't have to make Dubois versus Gorman now for the British title. You didn't have to do that at all. Um, it's very reminiscent of DeGale Groves when they met. It's puzzling um, how they put some fights on where you go, you don't need to do that. But then fights you would logically like to see, they just go, nah. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. Warren's quite good at doing that in housing. Like that's, uh, you know, like last night, Zelfa Barrett versus Leon Woodstock. They're in a different position. Like Woodstock has got a loss on his record now, as has Barrett. So they both kind of need to legitimise themselves. And Barrett did that in beating Woodstock. But Dubois and Gorman don't really need each other right now. So credit for actually putting the two of them together. Um, I think it's probably fair to say, if I was going to assume... I think Frank Warren would probably want Dubois to win it. He's, uh, you know, he's got that monster look about him. Um, you know, Gorman looks like a forty-year-old who's trapped in a twenty-five-year-old's body. Like it's it's mad, but he's a hell of a fighter, and he seems like a decent bloke, Gorman. Um, I fancy him to win it. I think he's just he's just got that better boxing intelligence. If he can survive the first three rounds, I think he takes it on points. Okay. Did you want to talk about this uh, boxing card that you referenced earlier? I mentioned it earlier. That's fine. That's all it needed. <laughs> That's all it needed. Okay. Uh, that is it. Do you have any, any other business? What have we got? Uh, Hannah Rankin. Shout out. She won the IBO title last night up in Scotland. I know the IBO title is a thing of derision, really, amongst boxing fans. But for Hannah, that's her world title. That fight. That's her achievement. So congratulations to Hannah Rankin for winning that. Um but, you know, she came to our second live show, came and gave up her time, and she met lots of fans out there that uh, that have hopefully followed her through to this point. You know, she's fought Clarissa Shields. She went the distance with Clarissa. That's a great achievement. So I was chuffed to see Hannah Brown, uh, and Hannah Rankin, sorry, get that win last night uh, up in Scotland in her home her home country. Um, any, other, any other business? Uh... Yards bottled it against Kovalev, I see. Oh, sorry, that's not what Terry said. It was that Kovalev... Fuck that. Fuck that! So what happened? Uh, so, Yard Kovalev was meant to be happening, and then it no longer seems to be happening. Uh, and and then the official line is... There isn't one, really. That's the problem. There's a void, and people can put their own words into that void what? and fill it. So... Kovalev has hinted about the idea of the World Boxing Super Series doing it a light heavyweight. Uh, so may end up doing that rather than fighting Yard. Just fight Yard. Just shut the fucking hype train up. Please. Like, derail it. Get rid of this Yard bollocks. Get rid of it. Get rid of the Lions in the camp. Get rid of Tunde Ajayi and his dream it, believe it, achieve it. Stop all of it. Take him to Russia. Fucking ice him. It'd make me happy. <laughs> 
Um, oh. Right, I want to play this kick-ass cards game with you. Oh, this is unfair, right? Because I've not been privy to these cards because I've not been around for a few weeks. I've not. Tonight was the what, first time I've even seen the cards. So yeah, I've not had an opportunity to even open a box of them yet. So look, I am at an unfair advantage in this. Anyway, excuses out of the way. Let's crack on. First card, warm Wait, up before card. Before we crack on with this, how did Terry do? Just remind me. He uh, got a couple wrong, didn't he? But got the majority right. Has he got... Did he get any wrong? I'm sure he did. He didn't get Joe Calzaghe. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So he hasn't got a 100% record. Okay. Do you think you can beat his 100% record? No, not at all. But, let's uh, but I'm at a disadvantage. I'm oh. Kid Galahad here. All right. Well, let's warm you up with a... Took with drugs a... when I was younger and then... Uh, <laughs> 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 I'm not getting the benefits he did. Um, the way that I would... I tend to class these is that if I've heard of them... And if I recognised them, I'd consider them easy. Okay. Right? I'd consider this one easy. I don't know why I'm... Sh- <laughs> you've already shown you. <laughs> Barry McGuigan. Correct. Three of diamonds. Barry McGuigan. Right. These cards are quality, isn't they? I like them. Well sh- done, kick-ass cards. Kick-ass cards on Twitter. Kick-ass cards. they're going to come cards. on the podcast. In the, uh, we need to speak... We need to arrange it, but I think they're going to come on and give us a lowdown on their... Uh, yeah, I mean, they're desperate to come and discuss who's got the biggest penis in boxing. That <laughs> is the kind of content they really want to be associated I with. I think that's going to be their next their next venture. <laughs> like, play your cards right. Identify <laughs> the boxers. But play your cards right, bigger or smaller than Carl Frampton. Kick-ass cards go well with 52 dong cards. This is not the kind of content they want to be associated to. Right. Anyway, sorry, kick-ass cards. But they are brilliant. Kickasscards.com. Get on them. Uh, right, four of hearts. Uh, is our Charles? <laughs> well done. Thank you very much. Why are you laughing at my ability to get him right? Because if you beat Terry, he's going to be really annoyed. I hope you're listening, Chap and Dharma. Right, there we go. And I've got to get to the page of the, the diamonds. Oh, you're getting it. your cheat sheet out. Yeah. Six of diamonds. Felix Trinidad. <laughs> And finally, eight of clubs. Ishmael Laguna. What? You, fucking hell, you look, that was quick. You didn't even turn it around, I knew it was. No. <laughs> I am the fucking bollocks of this game. The absolute bollocks of this game. I've <laughs> never even seen them before. I am, no, you, you I am incredibly talented at this. You are. It's instinctive. It's unbelievable how good I am. It's, <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Play your cards right with Dillian White. Yeah. Another one to throw in the mix. Yeah. Still ring me. We've got ideas, bro. We can we can take this further. Mm. Don't let Eddie get in the way. Him and his duvet. <laughs> okay, that's He's a hater. He's a hater. He's an absolute hater. He doesn't like to see us being so successful with our billion dollars that we've got from the zone. Prove we haven't. I I reckon we could possibly waste it as well as he's done. <laughs> yeah, it's true, actually. Here's a new sofa. <laughs> Four million quid for that. <laughs> it's like Brewster's millions. But if you had that billion dollars, right? I know we're trying to wrap up, but he's probably only spent about 50 quid of it based on the shit he's put together out in America. If he's put it in a decent savings account, a yeah. billion dollars, like, it should now be worth an awful lot more than that because he hasn't spent much. Like, that billion dollars, 
it should be worth a lot. We should be holding him to account on this. But we can't because we're all our Transformers duvets wanking off. I'd be, can you imagine if the blokes like that? Here's your billion dollars. Let us know when you've got some profit to give us. Yeah. That's, I'd be surprised if that was how it worked. Nah, that's how it worked. Big bundles of cash. You know, it was his birthday the other day. When you and I were best men at uh, our mate's wedding, my mate bought me a Transformers duvet as like a, a best yeah. man thank you present. So he did, yeah. <laughs> was Cheers. it a double? No, single. Oh, it was. Yeah. Because you can't have a girlfriend if you've got a Transformers yeah, yeah. duvet. Right. I be would fair. be shocked if they made them in doubles, to be fair. I'm not sure why, because you'd have thought even... Anyway, I'm not going to go yeah, into that. Go but on. It was Hearn's birthday the other day, turned 40. Happy birthday, Eddie Hearn. Um, Please tell me. The, the idea briefly flashed through my mind. Yeah. I could post that to him. Just write, dear Edward, <laughs> happy birthday, mate. I know you really like these things. I didn't do it in the end, but it, it did cross my mind to I do it. I think that would have warranted, potentially, you might have gone, yeah, fair one interview. You might have been able to get him on the pod. I don't think he's ever coming on. Price of the Transformers, dream of the- Transformers duvet. I reckon it's maybe in him that that's what he really wants. I think it's more likely he's going to want to hear some more TV program ideas. That's what that's the kind of content that'll get him on it. I'm not sure we should be dishing out this gold. I mean, it's, we're doing it free of charge, effectively. Yeah, he could, he could just he could just come. We've could we've got us. millions more of these. Yeah. Picking up dog shite with Dillian White. Identify the dog based upon its leftovers. Like that program where that woman used to study. Oh, Caroline McKee. <laughs> she used to study people's poos. <laughs> <laughs> terrible, terrible. But yeah, you know, okay. we've got loads of these. All he's got to do is come on, and we'll feed him for free. Yeah, yeah. This Which... has been a different tone this week without Terry, isn't it? We've yeah. Apologies. I realise some people probably don't like it. Yeah, I, I'd imagine that. I mean, I didn't think it could happen, but the standard has dropped significantly. This has been a real end of term show, isn't it? Yeah. Like, teachers not here, so therefore we'll get away with it. But they haven't had to listen to a twenty-minute any other business section. Instead, they've had to listen. Although to Although any other business section did start about twenty minutes, cumulatively <laughs> about forty minutes of waffle. Anyway, you've got Love Island to watch, didn't you? So uh, I need to get going. I don't know what you're talking about, man. I don't watch Love Island. You do. You're, you're obsessed with it. You're the worst. You watch Lavand as well, though. I need to get going. <laughs> oh, we got an update of Tommy Fury, how he's doing. In Love Island. As if you don't know. <laughs> don't fucking give me that. You changed our group chat to be called Love Island. I'm holding you to account on this. <laughs> you changed our group chat name to Love Island. That's slanderous. Where's the tambourine? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. Anyway, I need to go and see if Michael's going to dump Amber. Let's go. <laughs> see you next week. <laughs> bye bye.